Uh, if you have your Bible, then please turn to John chapter 1, verses 35 to 51. We are continuing in our series in the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, I'll begin by reading from verse 35. So brothers and sisters, this is God's holy and inerrant word. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Well, earlier this year, I had an opportunity to watch a, an old movie called The Green Mile, which was filmed back in 1999. And after watching the movie, my mind was rather mind-blown because of just how good the movie was, in my personal opinion. And so I immediately told my wife, Allison, uh, honey, you, you should really watch this movie because I think it's going to make you cry so hard. And just for the record, I did not cry. <laughs> but it was an emotional show, just to say that. <laughs> we then watched the movie together, and I watched it a second time. And guess what? She did not cry. That was kind of disappointing. But... <laughs> But it's okay. She also acknowledged that it was a really good movie. So why I brought it up is that when you experience something exciting, uh, whether it's watching a movie or eating a delicious meal at a restaurant or just 
seeing a beautiful scene before you, just can't help but want to share it with others by telling them to come and see for yourself. Although nowadays, many just share their experience on social media. And this raises the question for us as Christians. Have you ever felt that way about Jesus? I'm not talking about how wonderful you think OBC is, that you want to invite your friends, even though that's a good thing. I'm talking about your relationship with Jesus. Does the fact that you know Jesus get you so excited that you want to tell all your friends and family members about him? You see, for our our message this morning, as we have read this morning from John chapter 1, we have met several characters and their interaction with Jesus. And all these characters have a unique encounter with Jesus. And all of them vary in age and personality and job and social status and so forth. And when they met Jesus, the eternal God in flesh, they cannot help but to tell others to come and see this Jesus. Now, there's so much we can learn about Jesus from this, in this text, but I won't exhaust all that is to say about Christ. But my simple message that I want you to see in this message is to invite you to come and see Jesus and be amazed by who he actually is. And so, having said that, there are four lessons that we can draw from this passage about our Lord Jesus. The first we learn is the intimacy of Jesus. The intimacy of Jesus. We see here in verses 35 to 39. Now, we recall in the previous passage that John the Baptist was pointing others to Jesus. And as an eyewitness, John testified that Jesus is the Lamb of God and the Son of God. And in case you forget, verse 9, verse 19, all the way to chapter 2, verse 1, took place within a span of a week. And so day one happened with John the Baptist in verse 19, and then day two occurred with John, with John declaring that Jesus is, a, is the Lamb of God in verse 29, and then day three begins in verse 35 here, as it starts out by saying the, third, uh, the next day. And so the third, day, the, third, the third day begins with John the Baptist being with his two disciples. And we later find out in verse 40, that these two disciples were Andrew and an unnamed disciple. Now, we do not know who, for certain who the other disciple was because his name was never, never mentioned, but traditions and scholars would say that it was the author himself, the Apostle John. So let's just safely assume that is the case, Andrew and John. Yeah. So moreover, John the Baptist did not just have two disciples in his life. He actually had many dedicated disciples and followers. And what we need to find out is this, is that even if John had so many followers, so many disciples in his life, we need to realize that he did not hesitate to tell them about who Christ is. And so John says, again, Behold, the Lamb of God. He is pointing them to Jesus. He did not care about his popularity. And just to put it maybe in modern terms, he did not care if he lost followers, whether on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook, so that they can ultimately become followers of Jesus. Why, was, why did John not care about his popularity? We recall 
that John was just simply the voice, the messenger who pointed everyone not to himself, but to Jesus Christ as the true light. And after John declared that Jesus as the Lamb of God, two of his disciples heard him and then followed Jesus in verse 37. And these disciples should have been with John the Baptist when he first testified about Christ in verses 29 to 34. And therefore, perha- and therefore, having heard it a second time, they chose to follow Jesus now. However, I don't think they followed Jesus in the sense of fully becoming official disciples of Jesus. Because this word followed here can also be understood as accompanying Jesus. They will, however, become permanent disciples of Jesus when he calls them from being fishermen to becoming fishers of men. For now, I think they merely had a first exposure to Jesus. And we see here in verses 38 to 39 a dialogue between the two disciples and Jesus. See, Jesus turned and saw the two disciples following him. And he asked them, what are you seeking? Now, some, some of your other tra- Bible translators might say, what do you want? And this question is vital. It's quite vital. It is because this question gets to the heart, uh, gets to the heart of their motives, the heart of their desires for following Jesus. See, Jesus often confronts those who follow him in the beginning, and, they, and he demands them to articulate, to tell him, what do you really want? We will discover in John chapter 6 the story of the feeding of the five thousands. And many Jews initially followed Jesus, but why were they following him? Well, what were they seeking from Jesus? Well, the reason they followed Jesus was because he, just, he can just give them food to eat and satisfy their worldly hunger and wants. They did not recognize that he is truly the bread of life that can truly satisfy their deepest need, their spiritual hunger and their thirst. And when they were confronted with the hard teachings of Jesus, they turned back and no longer walked with Jesus. See, just as Andrew and John were challenged with a heart-searching question, so the readers like us who want to follow Jesus are challenged and confronted What are you seeking? What do you want from Jesus? What is your motive for wanting to follow Jesus? Is it because he's your Lord and Savior? Or do you have an ulterior motive for following Jesus because you think that you can get some kind of worldly benefits from doing so? Here in this text... Andrew and John did not really answer Jesus' question directly. We are not told what they truly wanted from following Jesus. They responded with these words, Rabbi, where are you staying? Just a little side note here, a little detour here. I want you to notice in this text, in this passage, John translates from Aramaic into Greek three times uh, in verses 38 41 and 42. Uh, rabbis means teacher. Messiah means Christ. Cephas means Peter. Just make that, make that note. Um, but while the disciples did not directly answer Jesus' question, 
for whatever reason, perhaps just feeling a little bit intimidated by that question, they were just curious of his accommodation. And so in verse 39, Jesus does not rebuke them for not answering his question. And here, here we get a sense of his intimacy. His intimacy. And we know in, this, in the Bible story that Jesus is a friend of sinners who invites you to know him. In his compassion and in his grace, he answers their question with an invitation. Come, and you will see. John, however, does not tell us exactly where Jesus was staying. It simply states that the, the disciples saw where Jesus was staying, and then they stayed with him that day. Now, this word, staying, has a deeper meaning in John's gospel. It can also be translated as remaining or abiding. And so we're giving a picture of the disciples physically staying with Jesus, Jesus the rabbi, Jesus the teacher, and Andrew and John must have learned the teachings of Jesus. They were close to him. They were intimate with Jesus, not just learning about him from a distance. You see, the eternal God of the universe came into the world in flesh, and he invited you to stay with him or remain with him. This word, remaining or staying, will develop into a spiritual meaning when Jesus talks about abiding in him in John chapter 15. And certainly you can imagine yourself spending your time with Jesus in his home, quote-unquote home, and getting to know him. How? By abiding him and letting his words abide in you and keeping his commandments. See, too often we listen and hear Bible stories, uh, the story of Jesus, uh, the story in the Old Testament, but we see Jesus from afar. And I wanted to point you, I want to point you to Jesus as the Lord and Savior this morning. But even though I point you to come and see Jesus, will you just passively stand from afar and just let him walk by you for another busy week? Or will you, like Andrew and John, decide to know more about this Jesus? You see, Jesus invites you to come up close to him and examine who he is every day, throughout the week. He's available. He's available for you. The question is, will you come to him? We see here at the end of verse 39 that John records for us that they stay with Jesus at about the 10th hour. Now, there are discussions among the scholars about uh, uh, to what method, did, uh, what method did, G, did John use to calculate the time. Uh, if it were the Jewish method, then the 10th hour would have been 4 p.m. because Jews began their day at 6 a.m. Uh, during sunrise. If it were the Roman method, then the 10th hour would have been 10 a.m., beginning the first hour at midnight. But regardless of what it was, the point is that the 10th hour would have been significant for the Apostle John, why is that? See, around 50 years after Jesus ascended back to heaven, Jesus, John will never forget the hour he first encountered Jesus as he penned down this gospel. Brothers and sisters, do you remember the time when you first met Jesus? For some of you, it may have been just recent. And for some of you, it may, have been like, it may have been around 50 years, like John. 
And I can certainly testify that I've truly encountered Lord Jesus Christ after high school back at the end of 2007. And I can remember vividly the moment I bowed my knees and completely gave my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And as I've done my calculation, I have been a Christian for almost half of my life. And so, Jesus invites us to come and see him. And we have learned. And when he does so, we learn about his intimacy. That's, That's the first lesson. The second lesson we learn is the impact of Jesus. The impact of Jesus. In verses 40 to 42. Having spent time with Jesus, Andrew went to his brother, Simon Peter. And what did Andrew do? He witnessed to his brother. He says to him, we have found the Messiah. We have found the king. We have found the anointed one. We have found the one who's going to rescue us. That's what he did after he first met Jesus. And perhaps this is the first instance of someone witnessing to a family member. And like myself, I believe many of you, or not all of you, have family members and relatives who do not know Christ. And I know the challenge. I know the difficulties of trying to reach family members because they are some of the most difficult people to reach with the gospel. Jesus once said, a prophet is honored everywhere except his hometown and even among his own family. However, Andrew should serve as an encouragement for all of us. Uh, D.A. Carson, the New Testament scholar, said this about Andrew, and I quote, Andrew thus became the first in a long line of successors who have discovered that the most common and effective Christian testimony is the private witness of friend to friend, brother to brother, end quote. And see, not only did Andrew tell his brother about Jesus, he literally brought him to Jesus. And we learn about a character that we're quite familiar with when we went through the book of Acts. Uh, He is Simon Peter. We know him as the Apostle Peter. But right now, he's known as Simon. And his full name is Simon Barjona. And so, after Andrew brought Simon Peter to Jesus, Jesus looked at Peter and said to him, You are Simon the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, Cephas is the Aramaic word for rock. And we're more more familiar with Peter, which is the Greek word for rock. But what does this all mean? Why did Jesus give Simon another name? Well, Jesus gives Simon another name, a nickname that would characterize him in the future. See, and that is that Peter will become the man that God uses to begin the church in Acts chapter 2, where he would preach the gospel and thousands of souls would be saved on that day. And this is encouragement for all of us because Jesus begins with his people where they're at. But he never wants them to remain as they are. And he has the authority and the power that is the impact to change people into what he wants them to be. And that is for us as Christians to become more and more like Jesus, to become more and more like our master, our king, to desire to love God and to love others, and having our minds be renewed by the word of God often, and growing on our holiness, 
by obeying Christ, not by our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. That is the impact of Jesus. That is what he does when we follow him, when we become his disciple, become born again. We don't stay status. We grow. We grow in our walk with Christ. And we become what he designed us and created us to be. That's the second lesson. The third lesson we learn is the initiative of Jesus. The initiative of Jesus. Verses, in verses 43 to 44. And we have come to the fourth day in this narrative as verse 43 begins with the next day again. And this time, John, the author, draws our attention to Jesus Christ himself. And, John, and Jesus goes specifically to Bethsaida of Galilee, the city of Andrew and Peter, to do what? To find Philip. Now, the fact that Jesus approached Philip is rather unique in this story. Why is that? Nobody pointed Philip to Jesus. Nobody brought Philip to Jesus. Philip wasn't seeking nor looking for Jesus here. Instead, Jesus decided to go to Bethsaida, Galilee. He's the one who took the initiative to reach Philip. And if you read back in chapter 1, verse 28, I think Jesus may, might have been around Bethany of Galilee, which is south of the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus decided to head north to Bethsaida, which is the north of Galilee. And he specifically found Philip. And Jesus commands Philip to follow me. And this is not a suggestion. This is not an option that, uh, that Jesus is giving to Philip. He is giving an authoritative command, an imperative by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You follow me, Philip. Jesus would be the one to intervene in his life and effectually call Philip to himself. Now, whether if someone brought you to Jesus or you came to know Jesus through learning the Bible, or God met you where you are at, or whoever took the initiative, uh, whoever initiated the contact, there is something that Jesus said here. And not here, but later on, John chapter 6. That is, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In other words, a person can come to Jesus only because of God's sovereign initiative. Jesus is ultimately the one who calls sinners to himself. You see, we love God because he first loved us. We chose God because he first chose and elected us before the world was created. And so as believers, we should praise God for the initiative of Jesus and be humbled by that truth because we cannot have chosen God if it were not for God's grace his sovereign grace over our lives because we're wretched sinners. And because of our sins, because we're so depraved, we have, we're not able to ever choose Jesus. But it's only because of God's sovereign work in our lives that we can come to him. See, apart from God, we can never come to him for salvation. So we praise God for the initiative of Jesus. The final lesson we learn about Jesus is the insight of Jesus. The insight of Jesus. Here in verses 45 to 51, we're introduced to the last character in his story, Nathaniel. 
And before I proceed further, I need to talk about Nathaniel a little bit. Uh, you see, he's not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament besides John's Gospel. Uh, he is actually associated with Jesus and with his ministry. And he is actually one of the 12 uh, apostles, but his name is never mentioned in the other Gospels when listing the names of the apostles. Theologians suggested that it might be Bartholomew. Nathaniel's name is also called Bartholomew because his name is always linked with Philip. And see, oftentimes when you read the list of the names of apostles, Philip and Bartholomew are mentioned side by side. You can look at it in Matthew 10, Mark chapter 3, and Luke chapter 6. And see, after following Jesus, Philip found Nathaniel sitting under the fig tree. Uh, both of them were probably friends, not, not direct relatives. And so what did Philip do here? He witnessed to Nathaniel. He did not say he's the Messiah. He did not say he's the son of God, the Lamb of God. Instead, Philip tells Nathaniel, Jesus is the one that Moses and the other prophets in the Old Testament wrote about. He is Jesus of Nazareth, uh, the son of Joseph, the carpenter. All the Old Testament pointed to Jesus, and he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. But after Philip witnessed to Nathaniel, he responded with skepticism. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Hmm. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, in that culture, Galileans were often uh, frequently despised by people from Judea, the Judeans. See, Galilee was located uh, on the north part of Israel, and Judea was located in the southern part of Israel. And you can think of Galilee as the, the lower class and the Judeans as the middle class or the upper class. And based on Nathaniel's attitude, it appears that even Galileans despised Nazareth, because Nazareth is also in Galilee. So there might have been a rivalry between villages in Galilee. See, Nathaniel is from Cana of Galilee. We learn about that in John chapter 21. And he might not have been fond of Nazareth. And when Philip told Nathaniel about Jesus, he did not say Jesus of Bethlehemite or Bethlehem. Instead, he said Jesus of Nazareth. And so if Jesus is truly the Messiah, then he has to, and he must be from Bethlehem, as prophesied from the Old Testament, right? Hence, because of the Messianic prophecy, many people focused on uh, Bethlehem instead of looking from afar. And so Nathaniel's response to Philip may have been because Nazareth is just an insignificant place, just an insignificant village without any prophetic significance. And so we know as Bible readers, we know Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and he, but he grew up in Nazareth. But I don't think Andrew and Nathaniel knew that about Jesus. Nonetheless, Philip did, does not give up his endeavor in his evangelism. He responds with an invitation to Nathaniel. Come and see. What, 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 is, what is he saying? Come and find out for yourself. Don't you just listen, don't just listen to what I had to say about Jesus. Why don't you come and examine who he is? He's just right there if you don't believe me. Uh, perhaps our, our witnessing stops when people reject us and are not just not interested in listening to us. But we can learn from Philip's example here. 
while all evangelistic, when, when all evangelistic work does not seem successful, we can do one more thing. We can encourage them by saying, can I encourage you? I know, you don't, I know you're not interested in learning about Jesus, but can I just try to encourage you to, read, to learn more about Jesus by reading the Gospel of John? Uh, can I just encourage you to do more Bible, uh, to read the Bible, do more research? Or you, can, or you can invite him or her to your house. Would you be interested in studying the Bible together? And I want to try to answer all your questions and see where that goes. And now we look at verses 47 to 51. We have here Jesus and Nathaniel in this unique dialogue, interesting dialogue here. See, Nathaniel sees Jesus and approaches him. And Jesus makes his first comment about Nathanael. Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. What is it saying? Jesus instantly lets Nathanael know that he knew him inside out. Jesus has insight into the man. He knew that Nathanael was a man without deceit. He told it like, a, like he saw it. Now, it doesn't mean that Nathanael never sinned. It does not mean that Nathanael was never a sinner. We're all sinners in need of Jesus Christ's redemption. Rather here, what Jesus is saying is, is that he acknowledges that, he, that Nathaniel was a man of integrity in contrast to a deceitful man named Jacob in Genesis chapter 28. Now, I, why I bring up Genesis Jacob will be explained later in verse 51. See, Nathaniel responds naturally to Jesus in verse 48. How do you know me? How come you have that insight about me? And Jesus responds to Nathanael, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. See, not only did Jesus know his heart, but he knew where he was, thus demonstrating that he is, that Jesus is the all-knowing God. Now, we don't know exactly why Nathanael was under the fig tree, Perhaps he needed a shade from the hot weather in the Middle East. A Bible scholar suggested that Nathaniel may have been in prayer under the fig tree, perhaps worshiping God. And Jesus knew that about Nathaniel. And Nathaniel responded, responds with nothing but submission. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Philip was right after all. How could I have doubted? You are the Messiah. You are the one that, pro- that Moses and the prophets talked about. You see, there are two things that should comfort us and sober us from Jesus' interaction with Nathaniel. First, Jesus knows us deeply from the heart. Jesus is able to pick out our character and tell us who we truly are. And what an honor it was for Nathaniel to receive a positive comment from the Lord. Yet at the same time, if our hearts are not truly in the right place, Jesus knows that about us as well. The Old Testament, the Bible says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? There's only one person who knows. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. See, at the end of John chapter 2, 
John tells us that Jesus himself knew what was in man. See, Jesus knows us deeply from the heart. And not only that, second, he knows us where we are at in our own lives. See, we cannot hide from God. We cannot hide from him. He knows exactly what we're dealing with, what we're going through. And he invites you to come to him. And the fact that God, that Jesus knows exactly Nathaniel's heart and where he's at shocked him. It shocked Nathaniel. And this interaction shows that Jesus is the all-knowing God. Nathaniel might have been mind-blown to know that Jesus knows everything about him, even all of us. But Jesus responds in verse 50. Because because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And see, Jesus is going to do things greater than what Nathaniel experienced. He will be even more mind-blown. You, you, you think my omniscient is great? Just wait until you see greater things. And what is that greater thing? Well, there are many greater things that Jesus, talked, that Jesus did, but he, but he does show him, tell him, what is that greater thing immediately. Here in verse 51, as we close out John chapter 1, see, Jesus concludes this conversation, truly, truly, I say to you, and now, just FYI, Jesus often uses this phrase, truly, truly, I say to you, amen, amen, I say to you. It's a very familiar phrasing in John's gospel. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And it is... This verse that gives us the reason why Jacob is important in John's gospel. You see, this, that statement alludes to the story of Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, which was read during the service, if you were paying attention. But let me just but try my best to summarize the story. Jacob was one of the children of Isaac and Rebekah. He, he had an older brother named Esau. And Jacob was known as a man, a deceitful man, a liar and a cheater. That's what his name means. And Esau wanted to bless, you know, and Isaac wanted to bless Esau, but Jacob schemed Esau. So before Genesis chapter 27, Jacob stole Esau's birthright. And, and, in, and in Genesis chapter 27, Jacob stole Esau's blessing given by Isaac. And afterwards, Esau was so angry and he wanted to murder Jacob. And so Jacob ran away from home. And while Jacob was on the run, he slept and he had a dream about a ladder. And Jacob saw the angels of God were ascending and descending on the ladder. And so the Lord, Yahweh, appeared to Jacob and promised to bless him. And after waking up, from his dream, Jacob responded that the place is un none other than the house of God, which, and, that, and that this is the gate of, of heaven. And so Jacob named that place Bethel, which means the house of God in Hebrew. And the ladder or the flight of steps that Jacob saw was a point of connection between earth and heaven. And what's fascinating is that the ladder 
will ultimately foreshadow and find its full substance in the greater ladder, in the person of Jesus Christ. Here in verse 51, Jesus would be a greater way of access to God than the heavenly fat ladder on which angels travel between God and Jacob. So what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel, you, you, you thought that was, that was very great? Guess what? I'm greater. Jesus is the link between heaven and earth. And that is because Jesus, the, the God-man, tabernacled among us, as we have learned from John chapter 1, verse 14. He tabernacled. He's the, he is the God who made his presence known in human flesh. He is the one who brings heaven on earth. He is the one who reveals God to men and women. And he is the one who is the very essence, the presence of God. He is the ladder between heaven and earth. He is the only way to the Father. He is the greater and the newer Bethel, the house of God. And when you look at Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, you can approach him. You can approach him. You don't, need temp- you don't need temples. You don't need sacrifices. You can come to Jesus and know who he is. He invites you to come and see him for who he is. And so in conclusion, we have been invited to come and see Jesus. And we have considered these truths about our Lord. We learn about the intimacy of Jesus, the impact of Jesus, the initiative of Jesus, and the insight of Jesus. And knowing and seeing Jesus as revealed in the pages of Scripture, it should stir in our hearts to go and tell our friends and family members about him and bring them to him. The characters that we saw got so excited. And that excitement spilled over into telling their relatives and friends. That has been the foundational principle of Christian evangelism. New, new followers of Jesus tell others about him who hopefully in turn become disciples of Jesus and then repeat the process over and over again. And so brothers and sisters, here's the encouragement. You don't need a big platform or a big name to go reach others for Christ. You have to reach in the, in the sphere of influence that I do not have. You have friends, you have colleagues, you have relatives that I don't know. I don't even know their names, but you do. And so I urge you and encourage you to make it your aim to go and tell them about Jesus if you know him personally. Uh, To make it even more practical and tangible this morning, make a list on your phone or on a piece of paper. Make a list of five to ten people whom you have regular contact with who don't know the Lord. Begin by praying for them. Praying for opportunities to talk to them about their need for Jesus. Because everyone is a sinner alienated from God. And Jesus is the only Savior who bridges the chasm between us and God. And Jesus is the only way, the ladder, the ultimate ladder, that bridges between heaven and earth. Will you respond to that call? Will you come to Jesus? Will you go and tell others about him? Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for this passage. And I pray that through this passage, you will ignite in our hearts 
to go, to go out into the world and to fulfill the great commission, to make disciples of all nations. Lord, if our relationship with you has been very cold, oh Lord God, please ignite, please fill us with the Spirit, empower us with the Spirit. If we have been very apathetic towards you, Lord, cause us to repent, to change, turn away from sin, and to turn to you, O oh Lord, for forgiveness. Lord, Lord, if we have lost that affection with you, please revive it. If we have lost the joy of salvation, please restore it. And make us bold. Make us your vessel, your instrument, to be the means of reaching others with the gospel of Christ and thus fulfilling your glorious purpose and your will. And Lord, if there are those who don't know Christ, they are also invited to come and see Jesus, to know him, to be intimate with him. And I pray that they would come to know Jesus and, what he has, and to know and believe what he has done for them on, through his death and resurrection. And so, Lord, be with us this week. Challenge us. Help us to put this text into action. And I pray all these things, all these in Jesus' name. Amen.